Years ago, when I first started Happen to Your Career, my good friend Mark and I created an eight-day mini course to help people begin figuring out what they really wanted to be doing for their career in their life. And since that time, we've now had well over 25,000 people go through this same mini course. And one of the exercises involves declaring three wildly unrealistic things that you want to do or be or become. And these could be occupations, jobs, roles, whatever you want. It's sky's the limit. The only rule is that it had to be wildly unrealistic. We started getting thousands of responses emailed to us, and there was something really interesting that we noticed right away in every comment that we got back. I want to work in physical therapy. Be a teacher. Hike Machu Picchu. Be an orthopedic nurse. Master web development. Become a Pilates instructor. Be a world-famous paleontologist. Visit outer space in low orbit. Zipline through a rainforest. Own a bed and breakfast. Maybe even restaurant owner. Okay, what do you notice about these? They're all big goals, sure, but what else? That's right, none of them, when you actually look at them, even if they're big goals, none of them, zero of them, in fact, are actually impossible or unachievable. And that's exactly what we kept finding, whether the exercise was completed by senior executives or college students just starting out. All of them, 100% of the answers people gave were achievable. Nothing was actually completely out of reach. Okay, so what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that the things that we believe to be wildly unrealistic are only unrealistic because we believe them to be. It's about the story that we tell ourselves. I had always been very passionate about women's health. I knew I was passionate about the cause and I wanted to do something in it, but there were times when I was super duper lost and I was feeling really bad about myself. Lisa had been thinking that she wanted to be a consultant since we first met her. I always thought like, oh, that would be really cool to do, but do I know enough? And, you know, how does one even do that? She didn't think it was a viable path and out of reach for her. So she wrote it off as impossible, wildly unrealistic. So I'm going to be a healthcare operations consultant for a small but growing women's reproductive health organization. Okay, so less than nine months later... She's now doing what she really wanted to be doing all along. Yes, we taught her a lot about how to get there, but a massive part of the journey was changing what she believed was possible for herself. And that's exactly what we see again and again here at Happened to Your Career. Most human beings underestimate what we can accomplish within five months, a year, or five years. What if instead what you really wanted was within reach? What if the only thing stopping it was you. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. I've spent the last decade digging into the art and science of how people just like you accomplish wildly unrealistic goals and make career changes that most people in the world would consider to be nearly impossible. And we've put together this three episode series because we wanted to give the entire world a glimpse behind the scenes of how we do this every day, working with people to obtain the careers and lives that they really want to be. 
Okay, so why did we do this? Why did we take the time to put this together? Well, because one of the things that we've learned is that most people don't realize the opportunity that they're missing here. Just think about it. What is not happening in your life right now because you think it's unrealistic? Now, what if that was different? What if you could open up the path to a new career and new life that you previously thought was not possible for yourself? I am officially the Chief Communications Officer with WineTraveler.com. That's Christy Wentz. She now has this custom-created role where she gets to be the Chief Communications Officer for a wine and tourism company. But here's the thing. She now gets to do all the things that she wants to do, but honestly, she thought this type of role would be something that's wildly unrealistic or just not possible for her. And because of that, she actually spent years spending time in roles that just weren't a fit for her anymore. So I actually started in-house marketing decades ago and then eventually led to public relations. I eventually kind of learned as much as I could learn, (laughs) kind of hit a wall there and there was nowhere for me to advance anymore. I had gotten so stressed to the point it had started to affect my physical health. I was having back pain and neck pain and all kinds of random pains. So then started worrying that I was sick and through this whole cycle and, and it was stress. It was just really stress. And it took a while for me to kind of get a hold of myself and say, okay, I need to do something about this, that I can do something about this. And I would have starts and stops and yeah. I'd go get some books and read about things I could do. And then I would start to do some things and get sidetracked and then just be like, oh, it's just a waste of my time anyway. I've got too much going on. And that time we were actually leaving for a sabbatical in Europe and I knew I was going to be gone for seven months. So thought that this would be a great opportunity to kind of really explore things, come back and know what I wanted to do. And of course that didn't happen. I went over there with high expectations of I'm going to have that aha moment and I'm going to come back and know exactly what I'm going to do. And I didn't. (laughs) And I thought it's time. Like everything is just lining up. This isn't working. I need to actually sit down and make a decision. It's a mind shift. I mean, you really have to be ready to kind of change the way you think about things in a lot of respects. I was able to pull out of myself things I knew needed to be a part of my career. Like I knew I wanted to write. I knew I wanted to communicate with people. I knew I wanted to somehow be involved in food and wine and travel if I could, because I love how it brings people together. I also needed something that was going to be flexible and allow me to work remotely. Yeah. So I knew that that needed to be a part of it. I didn't know what it looked like at all. I honestly did not think it was possible even six months ago. Just like Christy mentioned, you first must change your mindset and your beliefs about what is possible for you. Most people just don't realize how deeply this is ingrained in us and in our society. Okay, there's two ways to change what you believe is possible for you. You can expose yourself to other ways and other opportunities that are new to you, and this allows you to expand your horizons. Or number two, you can set your goals higher than what you believe is realistic. Now, this one's a lot harder, and it seems nearly all of society wants us to stick to what's realistic. For example, let's take something that many of us have heard and we even use in our life and work. Something that you might have heard of. What about SMART goals? My name is Dave Stahoviak. I'm the host of the Coaching for Leaders podcast. Dave's a good friend. And if his voice sounds familiar, it's because 
He was previously on an episode of Happen to Your Career. But more than that, he's been a VP at Dale Carnegie. He runs one of the largest leadership podcasts in all of iTunes. And on top of that, he has many, many, many years working with leaders on establishing goals. So who better to help us understand why smart goals are around, what they're good for, and why they're so pervasive? Five key parts of a smart goal. There's different versions of it, uh, but most people divide it into it's specific, something that we can really zero in on and understand from a behavior standpoint. It's M, measurable, so we have a way of seeing if we've actually made progress on it. It is A, attainable, so it's something that realistically we can actually get to in some reasonable amount of time. R is relevant. That means it matters to us personally. It matters to our organization potentially, but it's it's a goal that is the one we should be focused on versus a goal someone else thinks we should do. And then finally, the T is there's some time-phased aspect of it. It's not indefinite. We're trying to accomplish this in a very specific measure of time. I love using SMART goals tactically. When you want to get traction on something that matters for you or someone else to measure. Here would be the classic example in a personal situation is we want to get healthier. So we choose and create a SMART goal that helps us to measure something like, for example, our weight. So being able to see over time movement that then gives us confidence that we're actually making traction on it. On a professional level, I think SMART goals are really useful for being able to demonstrate movement in performance management. So for example, something like sales numbers, how many conversations you facilitated, how many metrics you're managing toward. Virtually every organization and every role within every organization has key metrics. And it's really helpful, especially at the professional level, to have demonstrated, not only for yourself, but for the organization, that you have made some measurable progress toward whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Okay. So here's what I'm curious about. If SMART actually means attainable or sometimes it has realistic for the R, then how do you accomplish things that most people would consider and most companies would consider to be unrealistic? What do you do then? What are your thoughts on that? I think about it in a totally different way than I used to. Um, I find myself in the interesting position these days, Scott, of facilitating a global leadership academy. And I find myself more often challenging people to think smaller on their behaviors, which may seem really odd, but because almost everyone I work with and you run into, like, thinks really big. We want great things for ourselves and for our families and for our careers. And the challenge, though, is. We have that big, bright, exciting goal long-term, and it's really, really hard to think of how am I going to ever get there that seems completely unrealistic that I could be the president of this division or that I could um, have a condo in Hawaii or that I have a great relationship with my kids. Uh, so there's, there's so many different things that seem very daunting. And the way I think about it and the way I'm always encouraging our academy members to zero in on it is to start with a behavior that gets you moving in that direction. Because if you take that initial step, not only does it begin to move you towards that long-term goal, but more importantly, 
it gives you agency over realizing that you can affect change. And agency is so big on this. Um, so here's an example. I have a, uh, we have Academy member right now uh, who he is really working on becoming more engaged with his team, becoming more social with his, his team, of, of listening well, of having regular interactions. And um, Scott, that is not at all reality in his organization right now. In fact, it sounds um, from our conversations like things are pretty adversarial. There's a lot of internal politics going on right now. So that's a really big daunting goal for him. And so we are working on what's the first behavior to get there. And for reasons I won't bore you with, but even starting to have some of those initial conversations is really daunting right now. So the behavior he's working on is noticing, just noticing for himself and writing it down. What are people doing well in the organization? And, and that as a, yeah, that as a starting point. Now, neither of us are under the illusion that that's the ending point. There's a long journey ahead for him. The challenge, though, is if he started with something big and came in and facilitated a big meeting and did an offsite and tried to change the whole culture of the organization, uh, almost certainly that's not going to work and he's going to be even more discouraged than he is now. Um, but just by noticing what's happening, he starts to change his thinking and his identity of, I'm a leader that knows what's going on with my team. And as that starts to happen, then he'll take the next step of starting to have some of those conversations. And then that will lead to future things. So I love working with people who think big. And then the next step is, how do we take the big thoughts and the big goals and, and start to find that very first behavior that's going to get you toward that new identity you're taking on? Okay, wait a minute. The way to accomplish big, wildly unrealistic things is to start small? Start small with your behaviors, and then that sets the foundation to do big things? That is counterintuitive. Okay, but here's another problem. What's realistic is subjective, and as human beings, well, <laughs> we can pretty easily convince ourselves that something we want is actually not possible for us. You see, most people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in two or three decades. That's Philip Mianko. He's our director of student success here at Happened Your Career. Philip's the guy who talks to nearly every single person that is trying to make a big change in their life and encounters just tons of different questions and mental barriers and, and all the things that, that pop up and stand in our way. He gets to chat with people right as they're coming in our door. Our brains are designed to protect us from, from harm and from danger. Instead of guarding ourselves from saber-toothed tigers, you know, like our ancestors did, our brain protects us from uh, our perceived everyday fears. It's like, you know, it's like a salesperson who relentlessly underpromises so that he or she can set the bar low and always deliver. You know, we're automatically programmed to detect spots of risk because our brains are amazingly designed to keep us alive. However, if we want to accomplish big things in our lives, 
we must first acknowledge that fear and not let it sit in the driver's seat of our lives. To move past this all too common fear, we must, you know, shift our mindsets to what could be possible and train ourselves to achieve bigger or, you know, we'll, we'll suffer the fate of selling ourselves short in our careers and ultimately within our lives. The greatest achievers and the greatest doers in the world, they have all the same fears that we do, but they decide to act anyways. And that's what we want for you. We want you to go after and choose what you really want instead of choosing what's available to you. Albert Einstein once said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. So how do you prevent yourself from accidentally settling in your career and your life without realizing it? I personally, I like to stick to simple truths. And one thing that I've seen is that when you don't know what you want and specifically what creates a great life and a career for you, then guess what? You're settling by default. This means that to avoid settling, you have to get very, very clear on what you want and need. One of the ways that we do this is by isolating the issues and by turning really big decisions and big aspirations and big questions like, what do I want to do for my career and what do I want to do next? And if not this, then what will I be doing? What is going to make me happy? Those are, those are huge questions. And what we do is we turn those into much smaller bite-sized decisions that are just one portion of your aspiration, one portion to be able to make up the full answer to that question. And what we find is that when you break it down, it's much, much easier to create a vision for your future that you can actually do something with and actually be able to act on. So here's how we talk about this that happened to your career. We use what we call the puzzle method. And for Anybody who's put together a puzzle, you know that there is a pretty easy way to put together or easier way, I should say, and some really, really difficult ways to be able to put together a puzzle. And here's an example. So when, one day when my son Grayson was two or three years old and he was first learning to be able to put together puzzles, I was watching him from the other side of the room. And what he was doing was he was grabbing one random piece and grabbing another random piece. And he was trying to mash them together and it wasn't working at all. He's making all kinds of little sounds. He's like, uh, and getting really, really frustrated. Right. And so I watched him for a while and eventually sat next to him and said, Hey, Grayson, let's try this. First, take all the corner pieces because those corner pieces are pretty easily identifiable and we can pour them out. There's four of them. And then let's get all of the edge pieces. And now the cool thing about the edge pieces, by the way, is that when you, when you pull out all the edge pieces, often you can start to see how the colors go together. And then that allows you to build out the frame. But the best thing is once you get that frame built, even if you have no idea what the picture on the puzzle looks like, it now becomes possible to start filling in the middle. Once you have that frame, you can begin putting the entire rest of the puzzle together. 
So in our case, we've got lots of Disney puzzles. So we could see that you know this is Donald Duck's leg or Mickey Mouse's ear and start to think that, hey, Mickey's probably in this picture. But what we find is that many people in their careers are actually going about this problem the same way as Grayson was trying to put together the puzzle. They're grabbing one random piece and another random piece. They're saying, ah, I need a better boss. Ah, I need more flexibility. And they're trying to jam them together. And they're frustrated when that doesn't make up the total answer. And instead, we find that if you approach it, just like the way, the efficient way of putting together a puzzle, it's so much easier to begin to get the answers to some of these really big questions but we have to be able to break it down into much smaller pieces. So when we do that with careers, we start with your strengths. Now, the reason we start with your strengths are because we focus on what we consider to be signature strengths. Those are the areas that you're not just great at, but also those areas that you enjoy and can add lots of value in as well. And we start with your signature strengths. Those are the corner pieces. And then we go on to the edge pieces. Now, the edge pieces are identifying in the different areas of your life, what are the highest priorities for you? Not everything that's important under the sun, but what are the highest priorities for you? So in your work, you know what type of environment and culture do you want outside of your work in terms of Things like finances or your health and wellness. Uh, what types of relationships do you want to have? What types of people do you want to be spending your time around? So what we do is we break it into all these different categories. Those are the edge pieces of the puzzle. Now, the really cool thing is just like putting together a, a puzzle, once you get those corner pieces, your signature strengths, and then the edge pieces, which are those those areas that are the highest priorities for you in your life and what you value the most inside and outside of work, then it becomes much more possible and much easier to begin to fill in the middle of the puzzle, to fill out that picture and begin to create that full answer. Now, here's the really cool position it puts you in. Once you've put together your puzzle, it puts you in a position to focus on those things that are so much more important than things like job title and what sector should I be in? Because what we find is those things that provide more purpose, more fulfillment, uh, create a higher level of sustained happiness, more happy, more often don't have anything to do with a job title. Instead, there's so many much more important factors. And by putting together the puzzle in this way, it allows you to focus on what is most important to you, one tiny piece at a time. And then that allows us to be able to go and find this picture, this vision, this image of what creates your ideal career for you. Okay. Now, once you've identified the most important areas, once you've created this picture and this vision, once you put together the puzzle, how do you actually go after this goal? How do you make the change? And what we've observed helping literally thousands of people is that almost everyone has realities that they're attached to. Realities like a full-time job or obligations like kids that like to eat or saving for their college or whatever it might be, or the simple fact that you only have so much energy in a single day before you pass out, right? How do you accomplish wildly unrealistic feats and career changes when you have all these obligations and you don't have all the time in the world? 
So what's stopping us then? Well, <laughs> reality. We all have our current reality. And this might come from obligations, parents, kids, work. Serving on that board that you agreed to back before you realized how much time it was going to take. Yes, it's for a good cause, but maybe you didn't actually think it would be an additional 20 hours a month. Whatever your reality is, all of us have it. The question becomes, how do you accomplish career and life goals that you consider to be important or uh, wildly unrealistic when reality is always pressing on us? When you set out to achieve what most people would consider wildly unrealistic goals, you can always assume the path you follow will be the one less taken. This is, of course, also true with wildly unrealistic career changes. Okay, so most people in the world apply online with resumes, and those same people that get jobs through traditional means that everybody else is doing out there are many of the same people that are not truly ecstatic or truly enamored with their work. And in fact, according to a Gallup organization, it's only about 13% of the population that are truly engaged, that are truly satisfied with what they get to do for a living every single day. And there's other studies that correlate that too, that are somewhat somewhat close to the, the same same numbers and same statistics. We see that there's a correlation with the thousands of people that we've worked with that are getting roles with organizations that they are, in fact, excited about, that feel more purposeful, are more fulfilling, and that they're more happy with. Also, by the way, it's not just in how they're getting these jobs. It's that these jobs aren't just any jobs. Many of these job offers are actually getting modified during the job offer process. And sometimes these roles are being created for them. So how is this possible? Meet Mike Bigelow. And if Mike's voice sounds familiar, it's because you may have heard him back on episode 174. And if you listened to his episode already, then you know that Mike was moving from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington. Why? Well, because he wanted to stay married to his wife and her job was taking her to Seattle. And Mike was looking at this move, not just as a job move, but instead as an opportunity to transition to leadership and make a huge jump in income at the same time, while doing even more of what he wanted to for work. I really do feel like I was moving my career and my experience to it where I would be able to transition from leading projects to potentially leading teams of technical people. And that has sort of been where I wanted to be for a long time because it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever gotten to do. Back in college, I had a small team of folks I got to work with and they said, sure, Mike, you can be team leader for this year long project. We were working on fuel cells and I absolutely love that. And I knew that's where I wanted my career to take the path to, to grow along. Mike is being super humble here about what he did and what his realities were. So let me break it down for you. He was changing cities with a busy schedule. He didn't want just any well-paying job. Nope. He wanted a role that was a huge step up in leadership responsibilities at a company that he was excited about that had an environment that matched up with his values. And he wanted to do it all in less than four months with a baby on the way. Yeah, I know. Not a small task. 
And this meant that Mike couldn't mess around with silly job search tactics because what he really wanted was a custom created job just for him. Now, most people would call this, dare I say, wildly unrealistic. And I knew that, you know, to get to a position of leadership, you kind of had to know all the things leading up to that. So that's kind of where I was when I was thinking about, okay, when I make this transition to Seattle, is this a possibility at this point? I think it is. How am I going to make that happen? Okay. So here's, here's what we didn't tell you when he was on the podcast the first time in episode 174, we didn't tell you specifically how he did it with all of his obligations and realities. First, we had to get Mike incredibly clear on what he wanted. After all, how were we going to go looking for companies that had what Mike wanted if he didn't know what it was? Next, we had to pick out those companies that we suspected would be a great fit for Mike based on what he wanted the most in his life and work. After that, Mike reached out to people he knew or acquaintances that had connection to those companies and got introductions. Remember, Mike didn't live in the same city, so most of this was taking place by phone, email, or LinkedIn messages. For the ones he didn't have a connection to, he reached out cold, and he let them know that he was really interested in what they did as a company and that he would be in town in a few weeks, and he would love to schedule some time with them to learn even more about what they did and what their current challenges were. By the way, most of them said yes. Remember, Mike didn't have a lot of time here too. So he actually worked with his career coach here at HTYC to schedule as many of these meetings as possible in one trip to Seattle. Next, he went and he had those conversations while trying to learn as much as he could about what they were working on, what their priorities were, what was valuable to them, what their frustrations were. And this gave him valuable info about whether or not he was really interested in working with each particular company or not. But he ended up taking this a step further. From everything that he learned, he ended up doing a small project for each company that he met with. For example, one set of people he met with was really interested in investigating a new set of technology and best practices for their industry, but hadn't had time to do that research. So Mike went ahead and did it. He did the research for them, and about a week after their meeting, he sent them a nice little PDF with all the info that they badly needed, and it was neatly put into place and easily readable and just exactly what they needed. And so it's one of those things that it is scary and it does make you feel a little vulnerable to go outside of that standard script that we think that folks want to kind of talk about. I am where I am because of a lot of hard work. By the way, we call this technique the amped up follow-up. I'm using air quotes here, which... You may have heard if you listened to episode 261 on designing career experiments. But as you can imagine, this impressed the people that Mike had met with. It also built the relationship and trust that they'd already started with them and opened the door to further conversation with the organizations that he was most excited about. Right about four months in, he had multiple job offers, which we then helped him negotiate for substantially more money than what he had been making previously. But more importantly than that, they actually changed the role for him during the negotiation to fit even better with what he really actually wanted. Can you say custom job offer? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Mike's story is super interesting. And although it's compelling, it's not the only way that you can make a transition like this. It's fact. It's just one of many different ways. The important part here is that every single person behind the scenes, how, how this stuff actually works behind the scenes for people that want to make these big transitions to work, that they're not just going to accept anything. They're not just looking for jobs. They're looking for work that aligns with their life and is much more fulfilling for them. And that means they can't just accept anything and they can't go about it in just any way. However, there are lots of different ways. Here's another story. And so I had you know, a college degree, master's degree, a few years in the work world and engineering consulting. And the whole time never really felt like it was a good fit for me. That's Laura Morrison. And so, you know, my first career pivot was actually into sustainability consulting. Um, after a few years working, I went back to grad school with the goal of pivoting. And I landed myself at a really great company that I was at for eight and a half years. In that eight and a half years, I had four different roles and the new challenges in the new role were exciting. But the, the length of excitement I had from just learning something new kept getting shorter and shorter. Um, so I think that's one thing that changed. And then by the end, I didn't actually feel like I was learning that much anymore. And for me, if I'm not learning, I'm not engaged. Okay, so when we got to work with Laura, she did a phenomenal job making the transition. And she got a job offer that lined so closely with what she actually wanted. I'm starting a new role in product management. And what I'm really excited about that is, you know, someone like myself who wasn't engaged as an employee means I understand that pain. And so what I'm going to be doing now is actually helping people and companies inspire their employees through different tools and understanding more about the people. And that's really exciting for me. And it took a bunch of hard work to be able to make that happen. It wasn't easy, right? And you heard a little bit about how we worked with her to do that. However, here's the thing that we didn't mention. Laura waited three years before she started moving down this path. That's 36 months in a role already knowing that she no longer wanted to be there. So why did she wait so long? We've seen this phenomenon again and again, and you have a good situation and you can't see how you could find something better, or maybe you don't know what something better would be. So you stay in your current situation and never even start. You live in toleration. Now, this is what ensures that you stay where you're at. We as human beings were unwilling to put in effort where we can't see a path. And ironically, by being unwilling to put in the effort to find a path, we actually erase the path. Wait, what? Hold on. Let me say that again. This means the path doesn't actually show up until you put on all your jungle safari gear, suit up and plan to go spend a while looking for it. Or you become willing to make your own path if you don't find one. But that's counterintuitive, and it's not the way that it feels when you're in that situation. It feels completely the opposite. So for three years, Laura allowed her perception about her reality and the fears she had about it dictate her life completely. And the funny thing here was that her reality didn't ever actually get any easier. <laughs> All those things and obligations that made up her reality, well, it only got harder. 
During that three years, in fact, she had a baby and now had additional obligations at the point in time where we got to meet her and begin to help her. I also think, you know, in the process, I had my daughter and I took a lot of time off and thought, well, you know, maybe I want to be a stay at home mom. And I quickly realized that kudos to everyone who does, but it's not for me. I need a lot more adult conversation, a lot more intellectual stimulation from from my work. But I didn't know what work I wanted to do. You've probably heard people say things like, big dreams take time, or that type of success takes time, or my absolute favorite, just give it a little time. But what if the key to accomplishing wildly unrealistic goals didn't have anything to do with time? What if that was one of the most common misconceptions that gets repeated all over the world every single day? How come some people move so much faster than others? And why is it that for a small portion of the world, they don't seem to let time stop them. Well, 15 years ago, I really wanted to know what this small group of high achievers was doing differently than the rest of the world, because everyone else seemed to be sitting back and saying, ah, just give it a little time. But what if accomplishing wildly unrealistic goals didn't have anything to do with time? Back in episode one, we introduced you to a quote and a mantra that came from Albert Einstein. We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. Accomplishing wildly unrealistic goals means shifting your focus to a completely different level of thinking. It requires focusing on what really matters. After over a decade of learning how high achievers accomplish really big things, I learned that high achievers don't think about time the same way as the rest of the world. So what was the difference? Here's the thing. Most people think that in order to accomplish something big, it takes a ton of time. But it's more about action than anything else. That's Kelly Paulson. She's a certified career coach on our team that works behind the scenes with members of our Career Change Bootcamp program. We've learned here at HTYC to not focus on the time something's going to take. Instead, we pay attention to what actions it'll take. When people do this, it helps them, a lot of our clients, take something that was previously thought impossible for them and makes it possible. So when you spend your time focusing on the actions, it really can have a big impact on how long it takes to achieve your goal. It's also not just about taking the right actions. Instead, it's about taking higher impact actions. In every single case, I want you to begin to focus on taking lots of high impact actions, not focusing your efforts on how much time you're putting in. Sometimes taking these actions may take significant amounts of time, but sometimes they don't have to. In this episode, I want to help you take your focus off of time and instead show you how it happened to your career. We help people focus their efforts on taking much more strategic, higher impact actions more often. This is really what helps turn the impossible into possible or the wildly unrealistic into your reality. But I guarantee it's not something that's easy. Even with this mindset shift of focusing on taking specific actions that add up to the result you want, there's still things that are going to stop you along the way. So how do you prevent that from happening? Well, I'm so glad you asked. There's actually two specific things that we do with our students inside Career Change Bootcamp that prevent you from getting stuck or stopping taking action. 
almost like you know when when that happens because it happens to everybody at any point in time you can expect that it's going to happen but having the right environment in place so it's going to pull you along and keep you going now both of these things that i'm mentioning here are some of the first things that we do to help create that environment for success and so you can focus on actions like you heard about earlier Okay, the first is what we call creating a plan for inevitable success. And this involves figuring out in advance, what support are you going to need? You know, what people or team or other types of support that you're going to need involved. And this might mean, you know, what places will you need expert help? What parts can you do on your own? But these can all be identified in advance. Where do you anticipate that you will get in your own way? This is a big thing too. Again, can be anticipated in advance. How do you set yourself up to build momentum instead of getting stuck? And also, since we know it's going to get hard, since we know there are going to be places in anything that is difficult to accomplish, in anything that is potentially a wildly unrealistic goal, career or otherwise, You're going to get stuck. It's going to pop up. It is going to get hard. That's going to happen. So what are you going to do for yourself when it gets hard to make sure that you can keep on going? Because at that particular time, you're probably not going to feel like you want to keep going. So if you know all of these things in advance, it becomes so much easier to have made those decisions in advance too. And when it does in fact get hard, when you do experience getting stuck, then there's so much emotion that comes along with that. And if you've previously made the decisions about what's going to happen when you enter that time period and experience that emotion, you give yourself so much of a higher chance that you're going to just simply react in the way that you anticipated because you already have a plan. You already know how. You've already made the decision about what's going to happen. So you can just do it. Certainly for me, it was hard to be in that headspace to think about what I wanted to do next. That's Jackie Yerby. She was on the podcast a while back after she made a career move to a pretty perfect role for her. In the one place where everyone tells you it's not going to pay well and you can't find a well-paying job. You guessed it, working in nonprofit. And she was really looking for meaningful work, so this worked out really well. And she was getting paid what she wanted. Who says you can't get paid well to do meaningful work? But it wasn't easy. And I guess it also goes back to confidence. And so I'd say if you can like get out of a situation before your confidence is gone and before you feel desperate about about finding that next thing. I got to meet Jackie when she found us through my friend Mac Pritchard, who owns the Portland-based job board called MaxList. Anyhow, Jackie came to us with a lot of experience, but really unsure what work would be the most fulfilling and most meaningful for her, and also very much for the desire to continue to get paid really well and keep up her lifestyle. And she knew this career change was going to be pretty hard, and potentially, It was going to be spread over many months, but she really didn't know how she was going to set herself up for the long haul to be able to make this whole thing happen. Okay, so what specifically did Jackie do? 
as I mentioned, she was on our podcast a while back, but what we didn't tell you on the podcast is that she ended up building what we call inside career change camp, a plan for inevitable success, or what we also call a plan for when it gets hard. Anyhow, she built this plan around what has worked in the past for her. And this meant that she ended up having conversations with a couple of key people that are in her life, telling them that she's going to be working on a career change and asking them for support during that time. You know, I had one sort of informally, but the formality of it, the, this is what I'm doing. Would you be part of this? I almost didn't do that part. And I'm glad that I did. And what having that support team made me do was I checked in with them at least every week to week and a half. Also, some of those same people, she asked them to encourage her to keep going when it got really hard. And additionally, she ended up working out with her with her coach how and when she was going to ask for help and what types of areas were likely to be the hardest for her. The way I apply for jobs is I do a ton of research and you know go all over like this organization's website and there was this one it was an equity and inclusion job and i kept coming back to i didn't think that i could feel consistently good about representing this organization in the public that my personal reputation would take a hit with people and organizations and communities that i care about and i talked i had a coaching call with caroline and she said don't apply for it and i was like okay And I didn't apply and it felt great. She told me afterwards that taking the time to put together what would happen when it got hard and build a plan around that was honestly something that she really didn't want to do, particularly because she felt like she already knew how to do it. Now, that sounds easy. I know it sounds really easy. (laughs) And I know it sounds like things that uh, probably you have already heard of in the past, whether it be here or otherwise. But honestly, you know, this is the same conversation I have over and over again. I even have this conversation with my kids. Knowing about something or knowing how to do something is completely different than having the experience of doing it. Top performers and those people that are accomplishing wildly unrealistic career goals aren't skipping something that will cause them to be successful just because they already know about it or you think it's so basic that you know they just don't really need to focus on it. Jackie did end up making a plan for inevitable success in advance and proactively for what would happen when this career change got really hard. And she later told me that multiple times along the way, if she hadn't done that, she probably wouldn't have kept going. Okay, here's the second thing that we do inside of Career Change Bootcamp with every student and client. We help them create what we call a master schedule. And by the way, as a fun fact, I, I've used this concept for 15 plus years to help people budget their time. But Jamie Masters, who's a friend and also was a guest on the podcast way back on episode 139, is the person who introduced me to the name for this, the master schedule. And my husband and I took a weekend away in March, I think it was, and talked about things and We had been saving up and kind of getting ourselves in line for me to be able to take some time and do some research and really figure this out. And so we decided it it was time to do it. That's Christy Wentz. And you heard a little tiny bit about her story in the first episode. It popped into my inbox again. 
and it was the boot camp email that it was the last day to sign up for boot camp. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, there we go. And talked to my husband and he's absolutely do it. Just sign up. And I thought it's time. Like everything is just lining up. This isn't working. I need to actually sit down and make a decision. I'm the only one that can make it happen. Like people around me can support me and I can find resources to help me, but I need to take that step and stay committed to it. And I did. So here's how the master schedule works. The concept is this, not that it functions as a calendar for you because it's not that at all. Instead, what it does is on a week to week basis, it allows you to put 24 hours on a day and be able to budget every single hour with how you want to spend your time. Now, this is not to say that you have to spend every single hour in something that is incredibly productive and spending every single second running towards an accomplishment of some sort. No, 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 no. That's not what this is for. Instead, it's for you to say, hey, there's 24 hours in a day and here are my priorities. And I want to make sure that I am laying out my priorities first within the time that I have. And then using that as a time budget. So when you do this, especially when you do it visually, there's usually one of two conclusions. Either people are like, whoa, I actually have way more time than what I realized. And now that I know that I can make a different use of it and make sure that I'm spending more of my time on what's important to me and what are my priorities. And then the other other conclusion goes the opposite way. People are like, wow, <laughs> I'm spending every single second on uh, different things, but uh, I'm going to need to cut something out in order to put something more important in place. Either way is actually great. Either way forces you to reconcile with what you are actually doing and how you're actually spending time. And this really simple exercise of laying it all out visually often will actually have people do it in Excel or do it like draw it up on a calendar. I personally do this every single quarter at a minimum for myself. It's that powerful that I've used it for many, many, many years. Uh, but I, I put this on Evernote and I, I draw it out actually with a iPad pencil. And this is something that, you know, I, I use and it helps me continue to this day to budget my time and spend it where I want to spend it. Okay, so it's it's that powerful of a concept. And we have people go through this at the very beginning so that they can find those sometimes small, sometimes large pockets of time and make sure that they're acting on their priorities. Because if you know, going after something that is meaningful to you is a priority, then we want to make sure it's reflected in how you're how you're spending your time it's a mind shift. I mean, you really have to be ready to kind of change the way you think about things in a lot of respects. And that's not easy to do. <laughs> it's definitely not easy to do. Christy used to master schedule too, to initially find the time to make her career change a priority. She also realized that it was about making small progress and focusing on the small but hard actions that matter week in and week out. And that adds up really quickly. I think the hardest part was convincing myself that I could do it, that I was smart enough to do it, and that I was capable enough to do it. But I think it was just getting over that fear of doing something different and doing something out of my routine and not something I had normally done or even thought about doing. Here's a question for you. Would you spend four, five, 
or even seven or nine months of your life to completely change your life and be able to do things that most would consider to be impossible or wildly unrealistic. Now, I I personally have spent years doing things differently in my life and career so that I could live differently than other people. First, we paid off six figures in debt over, it took us mm, about three and a half years. And then again, leaving a job that was no longer my dream job, but many other people would have you know, given their right arm to be able to have that type of role. And I left it to find that better role. And then again, taking three years to build this business, which allows me to pull my kids out of school for a month to be able to go live in an entirely different country each year. But what if you went through that seven or nine months? And then afterwards, you realize that actually, even though it was difficult, it wasn't even that bad. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing I found in doing wildly unrealistic things again and again and again and again, and then helping others do the exact same thing. That what you think is going to be incredibly difficult has a tendency to be, yes, difficult, but also very worth it. And the other interesting thing that happens along with it is that you experience massive periods of growth as a human being. And actually, that's one of the things that we need as humans to be able to be able to feel alive in a lot of different ways. As soon as you stop growing, you stop living and start dying. Now, does this mean that when you escalate growth, you start living even more? I think so. At least that's what I found. And also what many of our clients and students tell me they've experienced too. So if you want to make sure that you don't accidentally settle in your life and career from here on out, and you want to make a career change that has you excited to wake up in the morning and is aligned with the life that you want to live and also pays you well to do so, then you'll be super interested in this bit of behind-the-scenes news. Our one-of-a-kind, world-class program that helps people break free from a good enough job and discover what you want and need most in your career to feel more purpose, more fulfilled, more happy more often, is actually opening for enrollment on January 14th at 7 a.m. LA time, Pacific time. It's called Career Change Bootcamp. And it's a 12-week program where you're paired up with a world-class coach. World-class happened to your career coach, in fact, to guide you through identifying your signature strengths, what you want and need most in the career. It's, it's almost like building a huge comprehensive checklist of what matters most to you, the things that you know, and the things that you don't know you don't know when it comes to your happiness and fulfillment and unique needs and what drives you and provides you even more purpose. Then... We get to use that knowledge and connect it to your career options and even design an experiment to make sure that you're heading in the right direction in your career before you jump full in. Now, most people think that they have to choose between career happiness and being paid well or flexibility and responsibility or something that you enjoy and something that is viable. People think that we have to make all of these choices. But what we've learned over the years that to accomplish what most people consider to be wildly unrealistic goals You have to learn to do things completely differently than the way you've done it before. Open an email right now and send it to me at scott at happentoyourcareer.com. That's scott at happentoyourcareer.com. And put wildly unrealistic in the subject line. 
and we'll connect you to our Director of Student Success to figure out the very best way that we can help support you through this type of change. It's what we do. It's what we love to do. But no matter what, I hope that you use what you've learned over this three-part series on accomplishing wildly unrealistic career goals, and I hope that it helps you to make the impossible possible in your own life. Hey, many of the stories that you've heard on the podcast are from listeners that have decided that they wanted to take action and taken the first step of having a conversation with our team to try and figure out how we can help. And if you want to if you want to implement what you have heard and you want to completely change your life and your career, then let's figure out how we can help. So here's what I would suggest. Just open your phone right now and open your email app. And I'm going to give you my personal email address, scott at happentoyourcareer.com. Just email me and put conversation in the subject line. And then when you do that, I'll introduce you to the right person on our team and you can have a conversation with us. We'll try and understand your goals and what you want to accomplish in your career, no matter where you're at. And we can figure out the very best way that we can help you and your situation. So open it up right now and send me an email with conversation in the subject line. Scott at happenedyourcareer.com. Until next week, adios. I'm out.